Courage to Hope with Tony LaGreca is a show supporting the fight for sobriety against substance abuse and changing the stigma that comes along with it. Tony has been helping families, friends, and loved ones discover recovery services as well as coping skills for over six years following the death of his own son to opioids. Join Tony and his guests each week as they reveal the courage to hope. Here's your host, Tony LaGreca. Thank you, Ben, and welcome to Courage to Hope. Tonight we have a very good guest. We have a, His name is David Swindell, and I met David, I'd say about two and a half years ago or two years ago now. David runs a grief group for men who have lost a relative due to substance abuse. And welcome, David. Thank you, Tony. I appreciate you having me on. Okay, our pleasure. And I appreciate you taking the time to do this with us. So, David, um, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you happen to be what you're doing now with the grief group. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, thank you, Tony. Um, well, I had a son who was struggling with addiction, um, and you know, going back to uh, 2018, um, at that time he was struggling, and <clears throat> I was trying to figure out. I tried everything to try to help him um, with his challenges and to move forward. And I kind of run up against all these roadblocks and I couldn't figure out what else to do, right? The old definition of insanity is keep doing the same things over and over again and you know expecting a different result. So I ended up uh, mustering up the courage, if you will, quite frankly, and um, went to a learn to cope meeting. I went by myself, I had no expectations. I didn't know what to expect. But I went in, I sat in the back of a room and um, within about 10 or 15 minutes of listening to the people there, again, this learn to cope is for, for, is for uh, anyone who has a loved one struggling with addiction. Could be a, a, a child, it could be a sibling, it could be a parent, it could be, an, it could be anybody, a friend, anybody. So I sat in the back of the room, listened, and after about 10 or 15 minutes of listening, I realized these people get it. They understood what was going on and what was happening and the struggles and the challenges that we face. Um, so I started to go to the group. I became, you know, really involved in it. And, and it was something that I really thought was very, very value added. So much so that I decided to become trained as a facilitator of a learn to cope group. Wow. A week before training, was to start, Chris passed from an overdose. So now I'm in a whole different world. And nobody in that group could really relate because now my son is no longer with us. So um, after a couple months of sort of being out there on my own with my family, being out there on my own, trying to figure out what do I do? How do I, how do I deal with these emotions? How do I deal with what's going on? I feel lost. Um, you know, guilt and, you know, you know, all of that, Tony. And uh, I decided I would attend a grief group. I figured, you know what, learn to cope help. And these people really connected. So maybe there's a grief group around. So I ended up going to a rise up grief group here in Milford, Massachusetts, where I'm located. And um, again, I instantly found people that understood where I was coming from, understood the challenges that we have, and, um, you know, some of the stigma that's involved, some of the, you feel like an outcast, um, even people who don't go through it, your friends, your relatives, they don't truly understand, though they try. Um, and that's how it started. And then I ended up becoming a co-facilitator of that group. And from there, it just grew. And I ended up um, facilitating, starting up with Franklin Cook, a men's only group, you know, because I felt that there was a niche there that needed to be filled. Um, because if you go to these uh, other grief groups, you'll find the majority of them are women with just a handful of men. And I started thinking about why is that? Um, there's a lot of reasons for it we can touch, we can go into later. But um, I thought that well, maybe if we start up a men's only group that we could get more men to participate. And that's what we ended up starting. We ended up starting up the men's group and that's how I met you and everything else. I see. So let's go back a second. And, and I, I know that's one of the things you're thinking about is why, why is it that men 
don't show up. I have my own theories, but um, I was doing a little bit of math recently. And in Massachusetts, we've had over 4,000 deaths of, from substance abuse in the, just in the past two years. So in my, in my mind, that tells me there's probably at least 3,500 to 4,000 dads who've lost a child. And between your group and there's another group at um, Hope Floats in Kingston that's for men only. And that actually is open to a child if you lost a child from a car accident or anything. But even, be, even with that, between the two groups, I don't think there's a max of more than 35 men. Mm-hmm. And that's on a, that's if you count everybody that comes every occasionally. So now we're looking at what is the other 3,800 or 3,700 men doing? And this is just within the last two years. So I think, I think we have a major problem with men in just in this state, but I mean, it's across the country. Uh, they're trying to do it. I assume they're, they think they can handle it and do it on their own. Um, what is your thoughts on that? Well, I think, you know, your math, you know, um, I believe is true and, and it's very stunning and it's unfortunate. Um, I think that uh, the big challenge becomes, you know, is it a cultural thing? You know, do men not seek out help because of culture, but because how they're raised, you know, genetics, there's all sorts of theories behind it. Um, I think, you know, the big challenge is that uh, it comes down to self-esteem sometimes and the willingness to, 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 you know, admit that, you know, I was faced with a challenge and I couldn't fix it. And how do you, how do you face the world with that sort of um, thought process? You know, when um, globally, you know, men are pretty much brought up to be the fixers, the ones that, you know, fix things that go wrong in the family. And all of a sudden, the biggest problem that you faced, you couldn't fix. And not only that, but the worst thing happened. I think it's a, it's a combination of things. It's, it's a variety. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And um, just looking at your group, which I am a member of, I believe we probably have anywhere from eight to 12 active participants. And looking at those eight to 12 without mentioning any names, it covers quite a different range of emotions. I mean, we have some that are, uh, we have one gentleman who's only three months out. And like myself, I'm six years out. What I mean by saying out, that means since my son passed away and um, you know, and I could see how different people are grieving. Like we have one that cries every day and his son died a year and a half ago. And then we have others that, you know, are full of anger and so forth. And, um, um, as a facilitator, um, what do you, what do you feel is your, 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 I know you're kind of like coaching people along, but as a facilitator, how do, how do you feel about what to do with those different shades of emotions? Do you, are you thinking deep in each regards with each one? You touch on something, uh, Tony, that's very, very valuable. Um, everybody's different, right? We all, you know, you and I both lost a son, um, but our relationships to our sons might be different. Um, the ages might be different. The circumstances in the family might be different. And all those differences uh, translates, you know, or comes out in the uh, in the group that we're in. Um, and you know, you do have the wide variety of emotions that appear, and um, it's very common. You know, the the emotions. You know, there's the old famous five stages of grief um, that are mentioned often, and you know, you don't go through them in order. You can take a step back and go through more than one, uh, go through one more than once. Um, so it's that big challenge. As a facilitator, what what I look at as my responsibility is first and foremost is the safety of the group, the confidentiality of the group, whatever's said in the group stays there and doesn't leave. We never use names um, when we're outside the group. And it's a matter of providing what I call a safe space 
for each individual to say whatever they need to say or want to say without uh, any judgment, without any, um, you know, trying to dictate or tell them what the answer is, because we are all different. We use examples. This is what happened to me and this is what I did so that they can possibly relate. And if not, well, that's why we have a group because everybody brings something different. Also as a facilitator, what, you know, part of the responsibility is, is just to, just to kind of watch the people and make sure that all the guys, you know, are, are safe. Uh, there's no triggers that are upsetting anybody. And to try to keep the conversation flowing and get everybody involved, see if they're willing to talk. You're not required to talk, um, but we, we, we encourage participation so that you can voice whatever's on your mind. Oh, that's good, you know, and and um, I, I know at times we have one or two individuals who, um, especially early ones that um, get, you know, like to, you know, they take a lot of time mm -hmm. to each, for people that, uh, to note the, each session is usually an hour and a half. Sometimes it goes over. Um, and can you explain in the beginning what will we do at a group session so people get an understanding? Um, we don't ask people to check in and say, how you feeling and this and that. We just ask them, who are you here for? And can you explain the, the candle arrangement and how that works? Sure. Um, what we do at the beginning of the, of the, um, of the meeting, we, we actually have a, an opening statement and what it is, is welcoming everybody into the group. The fact that we're all there for, uh, for the same reason, though we all have our unique differences. And the fact that this is a safe space and the fact that confidentiality is the utmost. Um, and if you're willing to participate, that's wonderful. And if not, that's okay too. You know, you're there to listen and that's, that's fine. And then from there, what we do is we call, we invite our loved ones into the group. So what we would do is, and this is purely voluntary, is that you'd state your name, last names are optional. You state where you live, all of this is optional. And then who you're there, what loved one. So as an example, I would say, my name is David Swindell. I'm here in Milford, Massachusetts. I'm here in honor and in memory of my son, Christopher, who passed away July 13th, 2018 of a fentanyl overdose. And then we light a candle and I put it over my shoulder so that everybody, we're on Zoom, so everybody can see that candle. That represents my loved one. He's there with us in the room. And then what we do is we go around the group and each one has the opportunity to say anything that they want to say or nothing at all. And then we put a candle up for their loved one so that when we're done, there's a, you know, there's a, a candle for each loved one that's with us in, in the room. And then we start the meeting. You know, we essentially say, you know, I ask if any, anything that's pressing or anything on anybody's mind that they'd like to talk about. Yes. And then it goes from there. And usually once somebody has something to talk about, then there's going to be somebody else who will comment about um, how they're doing and so forth. Now, um, I was a facilitator at... Um, at Hope Floats for quite a while, but it was um, it was co-ed. It was I only had one husband, and I had seventeen women in my group, and I did it for three years. And at the end of the three years, the the uh, people who founded Hope Floats um, they come to a conclusion that that's long enough because they worry about the facilitator taking too much of it home with them. And that's, you know, everything was uh, in person then before COVID. And how do, you, how do you feel about that? And do you feel that sometimes, and, and I know when I'm in your group that, um, uh, yeah, I think of, I think of um, we'll just call him M, you know, who has the, whose father died at Holyoke while he was there. And then his son died three months later, you know, and then, most recently, the gentleman whose daughter died and she was pregnant and what he's going through. Mm -hmm. um, 
how do, how do you cope with that after hours? I know you're not supposed to bring anything out of the room, but it's pretty impossible to do that, you know? I, well, I need to decompress after, a, even after your meetings, I have to decompress. Um, that's an excellent question, Tony. That, that's a very good question. And I just, to touch on something you said way at the beginning, um, there are a lot of individuals that are in this, um, that do grief facilitation that eventually leave because exactly of what you said is that um, it's, there's a lot of things that happen. There's a lot of support that goes on. There are things that actually happen behind the scenes. You actually get, I get calls, um, you know, after hours on my cell phone uh, from people to, who just want to talk because uh, they're struggling. They're having a bad day. So um, the Rise Up group, if, I, if you remember way at the beginning of the opening of the, of the show, I had mentioned that I went to a grief group, which was Rise Up. And then I eventually became the co-facilitator. Well, to continue that story, um, the person I was co-facilitating with ended up leaving because of that exact reason. So I ended up being the facilitator and continued facilitating the group. Um, so it's very real. It's very common. Um, when I'm facilitating the group, I'm focused on the group. And I will use myself as examples, but it's more to spur the conversation or to relate and say, yeah, I've been there. This is what I've experienced. This is what worked for me. And to try to see how others will interact. Um, so I don't necessarily take it on as much as, as being a participant. What I did do and what I have done is I've gone to other groups as a participant so that I'm not the facilitator. I'm not the one that, that is you know making sure everybody's safe, making sure confidentiality is being held. Um, and I can participate as a father, as a bereaved father. So I've done that. So, you know, so far I, I haven't been affected by it. Maybe I'm lucky. Um, that's not that I don't think about it. I think about all of the groups. I also do peer one-on-one -on -one counseling. Um, and, um, you know, that I think about after I get off the phone with somebody or off for a Zoom, Zoom meeting, I think about how they're doing and how I relate to it. Um, but as far as burnout, you know, I haven't experienced it yet. Could I? I could. Um, but it hasn't hit me yet. Yeah, actually, um, I was, they felt, it, again, the people running the other organization felt that I was going to hit burnout. My co-facilitator did. It was a woman and she def definitely did. She couldn't. She was done without a doubt. Yeah. Um, but I decided that I would like you i mean i joined your group as a as a participant and so that's what pretty much you know i'm sitting back letting you be in charge you know because it's also the, the the obligation of of um having to have to be there every other week you know you you can't you have to all your other things that you want to do have to go around that part of it you know and yeah. you have to make sure you're available um kind of like doing a radio show you have to be there you can't you can't phone it in or you know call in sick or something because it just doesn't work so um yeah i i definitely get that um and you have a partner um gary is your partner yeah. and um and he came to the group right away so was he in another group working as a facilitator or as a participant or uh, he, he's a, well, I actually met Gary. Um, I also co-facilitate co another group out of Marlboro called One Step at a Time with Kathy Leonard. Um, in that group, I originally went there. That was my safe group. That was the group I originally went to as a participant. And then um, as time went on, uh, Kathy asked me if I'd be willing to be a co-facilitator with her. So I agreed to do that. That's where I met Gary. I met Gary and his wife. And um, so we were part of that group. Gary and his wife went on to, they actually now facilitate their own group um, out of Maynard. Um, and so I knew Gary. And the reason why I asked Gary to help me was because my fear 
when you touched on it just a second ago, my fear was there might be a time when I'm sick or I can't make it or I, I go on vacation or whatever the case may be. Um, and I won't be able to make it so that that group can still continue. That group can still meet. That group should not be dependent upon me showing up. That group, that group's got to happen for the guys. So how do I, how do I try to guarantee that? Well, I get somebody else to help. So that was the whole driver behind that. Um, I, I can tell you a couple of things. One is uh, I did hold one of the men's group when I was actually on a business trip. So I was sitting in a hotel room running the men's group. So I try to, you know, I have been able to make them all. Um, and the other thing is you touched on burnout is that I belong to a group of facilitators that meet every other Saturday and um, for about an hour and a half. And we all get together and talk about not only a, a, a group in general, but also how are we doing handling not only our own grief, but the grief of the group. So there's another outlet that we have in order to keep going and we can unload our burdens there if, if needed. And it's a pretty good sized group. It, there's, you know, some days there's 18, 20 people there. So, so there's different aspects of that. Interesting that you're doing that with Kathy Leonard because I, I met Kathy in Stanford, Connecticut when we went to protest Purdue Pharma. Uh, I don't remember if you were there or not. No. I don't know. And uh, we, um, for those who don't know, Purdue Farmer is the, the big company that is the reasoning behind the push for opioids to begin with. Uh, Richard Sackler, who was the um, president of Purdue Pharma, he was the one that uh, convinced the FDA to change the packaging. And, and he had all his salespeople go out and, and lie to the doctors and do a lot of variety of things. So we actually, we went to the headquarters of Purdue and um, there were 50 of us that lied on the sidewalk. And I remember Kathy was there. And um, so I met her and Irina at the same time. And I remember I, I, I got down on the sidewalk. I was afraid I couldn't get back up, though. That was the big thing. But uh, they talk about people who uh, were, were like peers. I mean, just everybody there had lost somebody, you know, and, and little did I know that I did not know that I played baseball with Catherine's husband at um, Cooperstown. And I, we, I, we met again at a premiere of a movie. And uh, it was very strange that a, such a small world, you know, uh, um, say hi to her when you see her again for me. Oh, so, okay, I will. Yeah. Um, the other thing when I did my deal, um, uh, like four years ago, they one thing they wanted me to do was go to a uh, suicide class, learn how to learn to see if somebody was actually suicidal or just saying it. Have you had any courses in that? Yeah, we've been tr we've been trained um, as peer facilitators um, in that aspect of it to a limit, right? To try to identify whether or not somebody, um, to your point. Uh, is saying it because they're going through the grief process and it's very, very common. Or if in fact that they are uh, contemplating, you know, ending their life. And um, at that point, you know, how best to handle that. You know, we're not uh, licensed, you know, psycho psychologists or anything to that effect. So, you know, honestly, typically we would turn them over to a professional to work with. Uh, yeah, but yes, I we've gone through that. I was a member of a group called GRASP, which stands for Grief Response After a Substance Passing. And I had a session, this was for everybody. And I actually had, a, and there was no, no interview process. So anybody could show up. And it was for the Brockton group. And, um, and one night I had this amazing, I had like eight women show up that were between age 25 and 30 years of age. And it turned out that all of these guys were at a bachelor party and just about every one of them overdosed. And these women all knew each other. And so they all came and they were all due to be married to these different guys. And they got a batch of, of um, stuff that it contained fentanyl and fentanyl did them all in. So they all died on the same weekend. It was just unbelievable. And they were only a month out. 
And I had one woman who said she just can't go home to that empty apartment and she couldn't do that. And um, I was at the point of, I, I couldn't leave her. I was so, she was so convincing, you know, so I would have normally called 911 if I didn't, but I remembered one of the women had left me their phone number and I called her and she came to the place in East Bridgewater where I was and um, took him down the street to a restaurant. And after about an hour or so, um, the woman that I called took this woman home with her and assured me that she had watched her. But, but normally I would have just called 911 because the woman wouldn't have been very happy with me, but I just would have said, you know, I can't let you go back to your apartment by yourself after what you're telling me. Uh, yeah. But the big thing is um, she had a plan. That's what they was always thought. They have a plan. If they have a gun, if they have, if they tell me, oh, I'm got, I've got a bottle of sleeping pills, I'm just going to take them and just never wake up, you know. And if they have a plan, then you really have to do something. But if there's really no plan and they just tell you, oh, I can't, I don't know whether I want to live or die, that sort of thing, that's part of the deal, I would say, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and to your point, I mean, that's not uncommon to hear. You know, you, you hear it quite often, quite frankly, um, because, the, you know, the death of somebody, uh, especially a child, is, is, uh, can be very, very devastating, very devastating. It certainly is. And, you know, so for, um, for those that have, you know, never experienced it, you'll never know. And I, we hope you never know. You know, let's leave it at that. We, you, never want, you never want to be a member of that group. And for anybody out there who's going to learn to cope, which I know we have quite a few uh, listeners who go to learn to cope, uh, trust us that if you get on the other side uh, with, a, with a relative that has died, it's 10 times worse than dealing with a person with an addiction problem. I would say that. And would you agree that once you cross that line that the... Um, is there isn't much, there's no hope that in that point, you know, but as long as someone is breathing, there's plenty of hope. Well, that's, that's to your point. That's the whole thing. If they're still with us, there's still a chance. You right. know, you don't, you don't, you don't give up. And despite how difficult it is and, you know, not to dictate what path to take, because I can't tell you what path to take. Everybody is different, but um, you know, to your point, as long as they're still with us, we'll try to figure it out. We're here with David Swindell, who runs a grief group for The Sun Will Rise. Do I have that right, David? Yes, it's it's a men's group through the Sun Will Rise Foundation. Yes. So can you tell us about what is the Sun Will Rise Foundation? Um, sure. Thanks for asking. Um, the Sun Will Rise Foundation was started by Robin Houston Bean, whose son, Nick, Nick Bean, passed away from an overdose. Um, that was probably about eight years ago or so. There was nothing available uh, back then um, as far as grief support is concerned. Uh, so, you know, going through the grief, she, she decided that she wanted to start up um, a grief support group. And out of that, um, the Sun Will Rise Foundation was born. The Sun Will Rise phrase is actually a phrase that Nick had said to her during his struggles. And he said something to the effect of, mom, don't worry about it. The sun will rise again. Hence, the Sun Will Rise Foundation. The group itself today is, is pretty large. I'm going to say there's probably about eight or nine different um, grief groups that are involved under the Sun Will Rise umbrella. And they're all in different towns as Braintree, Bridgewater, Brockton, Foxborough. They're all over. And in addition to that, there are a couple specialty groups. Um, we have the men's group, which is the one that, that I facilitate. There's also a grandparents raising grandchildren group is another one. Um, there's also one where um, if where you've lost a loved one and you still have another that's in the throes of addiction, there's another group. So there's all these different, not only is there a general group, but there are these specific groups for specific um, you know, situations. So anybody out here listening, um, how do they reach the, the Sun Will Rise Again group? The, um, well, the, the website is um, 
the sun will rise. If you type in the sun will rise um, or sunwillrise.org, we'll get you there. All, all one word? All one word, the sunwillrise.org. Um, and there's a, there's a phone number, 781-789-4604. Okay. And that will be able to put you in touch with um, with actually Robin herself. You know, she manages the whole thing. So he does. Okay. Well, uh, is this her, this her full time job now, or is this something that she does after hours? She actually fifty uh, fifty. <laughs> you know, she does have a job, um, but she dedicates. You know, to, I know Robin. I know I know her well, and. Um, she said that she's waiting for the day where she can just do this full time. She pretty much does. But, yeah. Okay. Well, um, so when they call there, does she screen them? Yeah. Well, yes. What will happen is whether you, you call or you send that you go to the website or anything to that effect, there's a process that you need to go through. So you'll be asked, you know, your name, the name of your loved ones, how did they pass, when did they pass, etc. And the whole purpose behind that is, is, and it's all confidential, none of that is ever shared. The purpose behind it is that it's a screening process to assure that everybody that joins the group that's allowed into the group is legitimate. We don't want people for whatever reason to join the group that can't be what we call vetted, that can't be proved that, you know, they say they are what they say they are. Um, and once that is, you know, once that's um, done and, and it's true, then, you know, you can join whatever group you're involved in. But whatever group, whether, you know, it's Braintree or Foxborough or Weymouth or wherever, uh, you'll go through that same process. Okay. I mean, that those towns are all the towns that that our, our station is over the air in. And, um, but but like, our, like your group, though, we have quite a few people from out of state and Western Massachusetts, and um, so they so there's no there's no barrier to to uh, area because um, we do have a fair number of listeners in Arizona and Florida who used to live in New England, and if anybody out there is suffering, you can join a group, and you're going to do everything by Zoom, so yep. it, it doesn't where you are. So we'll, uh, Robin, you know, that's, that's take a care very of good. That's a very true statement, Tony, because. Um, you know, in our group, as you just touched on, we've, you know, we got, uh, you know, a, a member that comes often that's in Vermont. Um, we've had them in from Connecticut. We've had them from Rhode Island. Um, in other groups that with Kathy's group, as an example, we've had people from New York, from Florida. We actually had somebody in the men's group who was down in Florida that was still coming and now he's back up here. So it's, it's all over because of Zoom. That's kind of the positive of Zoom is the fact that the virtual meetings is the fact that you can be anywhere and, and attend a meeting. Yeah, it seems like, uh, seems like Skype has gone bye-bye compared to Zoom these days. <laughs> it used to be Skype. Skype didn't know how to put 20 people on the same Zoom call, on the yeah. same call, they, they lost their moment. Uh, now, one other thing I, I noticed, somebody shows up once, or maybe twice, and then they don't come back. Um, do you do follow-up with those guys? Uh, yes. Yes. And, and to, to ask, you know, find happenings, you know, like why, why would they uh, show up? And I, I can think of a couple that definitely should have stayed, but they disappeared. So what, what actually, what do you usually find when you make these calls? Um, the group isn't for me you know, is usually the general statement. You, they don't really get into detail. Um, I don't press them for details, because. but it's, you know, the group isn't for me. This isn't the kind of format. Um, sometimes you get people that want answers. Look, this is what you do in order to, to, to do this. Um, it's like when you first go to learn to cope, you go there thinking you're gonna get an answer. You don't get an answer, but you get suggestions as to how well you know, that are possibilities to go forward. It's the same thing with our group, we're all different. So a lot of them are looking for answers. Well, how do I not be angry? Or how do I, you know, not be so depressed? Um, and so, you know, we don't have it. We can tell you, I can tell you what I did and others will tell you what they did. 
but we're not going to say you must do this or you need to do that. So I think a lot of them are that. Um, some of them are uncomfortable, especially in the men's group, right? Some of them are uncomfortable getting into the level of detail, if you will, or the emotional level. Um, some of them don't want to see it. Some of them don't want to share it. Okay. So I think there's all different kinds of, you know, reasons why they don't come back. You know, um, I was going to say, it's kind of like, um, why aren't they there in the first place? That's my big question. You know, is that there's my biggest thought is that a lot of them don't know it exists. That would be one part of it because it's not like, uh, Robin advertises anywhere. It's not like hope flows is advertising anywhere. I mean, it's kind of all word of mouth and, uh, I know that from Hope Floats, when I first went there, my therapist told me about it and gave me the phone number. And, and, and my therapist actually made the phone, the phone call because I was nervous to even do that, you know. Mm -hmm. And he made the phone call for me and introduced me to the people. And that, that was a, a huge help. I don't know if I would have done it if I didn't have that, you know. Um, and, um, and I learned right away that by being with others that are in similar situations, it's um, it's um, definitely the best the best thing because we're humans are social animals. I mean, we need to have people that are similar to ourselves. And when, I mean, there's not even a name for losing a child. You lose your wife or your husband, you've lost, you become a widower or a widow, you know. But when you lose a child, there's actually no name for it, you know. And there's a lot of stigma that goes around it. And I know a lot of guys worry about that. And uh, one thing I do know is that men age 52 to 60 is the number two highest rate of suicide in the United States this now. And I believe a lot of that's got to do with men trying to handle everything, you know, not just this kind of thing, but everything. You know? So what would you say you learned by being a facilitator that you didn't know before you became a facilitator? What was your, what, what are the surprises that you got? I think um, what I learned personally, you know, coming into groups like this is that there are a lot of people out there that have some very similar um, situations that can relate to what I went through. So I think that's important, a message to get across. Cause a lot of times to your point, um, you know, guys will, will uh, isolate, right? And, you know, they, they shut themselves out, they shut themselves down. Um, and probably because they feel that nobody understands them and nobody has a, a grasp on what they're going through or what they're feeling because they're unique. And yes, they are unique, um, but there are similarities to what they're going through that others have gone through or are going through. And I think just that com camaraderie uh, really, really helps to know that you're not alone. I mean, that's the biggest thing that one of my drivers is, and I always um, end with that, um, whether I'm, I'm giving a talk or um, the meeting, is that remember, you know, you're not alone. I mean, that's important to, to get across to people. And I think that was the biggest thing that I learned was the fact that I'm not alone, that there are others that are like yourself, Tony. I know I could talk to you about anything, um, you know, that were there to listen and to help. Yes, yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, there is a thing that you're doing in October. Uh, could you tell the audience about that? Sure. Um, we're going to be putting on a, a grief, a peer support grief conference. So right now it's the October 21st and 2nd, I believe, Saturday and half day Sunday. Uh, it's going to be in Westboro, Westboro, Mass, at the Doubletree Hotel. And what it is, is it's going to be a conference that's going to include a lot of different things that are involved. So there's going to be um, speakers that are going to be there. They're going to talk about different types of grief that, that uh, occur. There are going to be speakers that are going to, uh, if people are interested in starting up their own um, resource center or group, grief groups or stuff to that effect, there are going to be people that are going to, you know, uh, walk people through how to do that if you're interested in doing that. 
there's going to be um, other things that are going to be involved. There's going to be yoga. There's going to be music. There's going to be things. Um, there's going to be art, right? Uh, uh, one of the big things is the ability to express your grief through art. So we're going to have, you know, art classes that are going to be there where you can express your grief through art. Um, it's like I said, it's going to be a day and a half. Uh, there'll be food. You know, we'll have a variety of rooms. So we have, you know, multiple functions going on at the same time and you can pick and choose as to which one you go to. Um, it's being supported by AdCare out of the state of Massachusetts. So that's a big help. Um, but that's, you know, like I said, we're starting out now and we're just kicking that off the ground. We've got half a dozen committees that are involved from speakers to marketing, to advertisement, to finance, to admins, to volunteers. So there's a lot, a lot of things going on, but it's primarily a grief conference for the support of people like us who are grieving the loss of a loved one through substance use. And it's to show that there's hope out there, that the fact that what you're going through, you can get through it and we can get through it as a group. We can get through it together and we'll show you some of the techniques that have helped others. So that's sort of the whole drive behind it. You know, that the name of our show is the courage to hope. And that's really something that I feel would be really good for everybody who's grieving um, thing is, I mean, obviously the child will never come back, but for the rest of your life, you, 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 it'll never leave you. But at the same time, let's try to make it as comfortable as possible as you're right. going through it. You know, so I think this is a great idea. Um, and um, you, you know, Tony, you just touched on something I think is, is really, really important that, people outside of the grief that we're going through um, don't understand, yet we do. And that's the fact that you don't get over it. You don't get over the grief. You don't get over the loss of a loved one. Um, you, you continue forward with it. You carry it with you. Uh, it might not be uh, as pressing or depressing as time goes on, but it's still there. You still have the highs and you still have the lows. You still have the troughs. And I think that's one of the big things that that people um, outside of the of the group, uh, you know, the grief group, if you will, don't understand this. You know, they look at you and they say, well, just, you know, it's been a year you know, or two years or five years. You know, why aren't you over it? You know, or, you know, well, you know, you've got another child. You know, I've got two other children and I started up a sibling group because of that. So actually they're meeting tonight. Um, but you know, well, you've got two other children. Well, yeah, you're right. And that's what keeps me going is I do have a family and, uh, I do love them and I do want to support them and I am there for them. Um, but those two other children will never replace my son, Chris ever period. So I'm not going to get over it. I'm going to continue with it. And people, like I said, outside of, of losing a loved one, sometimes don't understand that is you don't get over it, you know, and that's what this is good about this group. In the sense you touched on it earlier, Tony, is the fact that we've got some that have been there for, you know, have lost one, lost a loved one, you know, two or three months ago, and others that have been there for six, seven, eight years, sharing the same stories and the same emotions and the same grief. It just shows you that it continues. It gets better, doesn't get as heavy. You learn to live with it and you learn to have the good memories start to come back and flood and smile. Um, but it's always there. Yeah, this, I was going to say the one thing for me as a facilitator is I know I'm helping others. <clears throat> and by helping others, you're helping yourself. And that's, that's the point. You know, I mean, <clears throat> when I first went to Hope Floats, they really helped me. I mean, I was mentally paralyzed mm. and I got through it, you know, and I, I actually looked forward to every meeting and I, I never wanted to miss one. It was a, uh, it was that important to me, and anybody again who's listening, who's thinks they, you know, who's been in this situation and there's, and they're grieving alone, um, I highly suggest you get a hold of the sun will rise and a hope floats and, um, and get in the group, because nothing is nothing really is is better than that than being in there and you know and. And I, I've heard it all, you know, somebody says, oh, at least he's in a better place. No, he's not. Right. His 
face would be right here next to me, nice and healthy. You know, and they, when they say, you, you, you lost your child, I say, no, I didn't lose him. He died. There's a big difference. You lose your keys. You know, yeah. your child died. That's, you know, that there's just a play on, you know, the words mean a lot. And, and in our country, uh, bereavement, um, they give you two weeks off from work. That's ridiculous. I mean, I, I had an employee <clears throat> just at the beginning of COVID. I have a business in Tennessee and we had two or three tornadoes come through. And you might remember this, that one hit Nashville and the other one hit Cookville. And the one that hit Cookville <clears throat> didn't take any lives of my employees, but we lost seven, seven relatives of my employees from, from that. And uh, one of my employees has been <clears throat> out of work for two years. She, you know, she just couldn't deal with it because, I mean, the way they died and the age, you know, um, talking a mother and son, 10 years old. And she just came back to work after two years. And, you know, when people say, you know, and if you go to work, if you do go to work because you need the money and they're going to fire you if you don't go to work, it's, it's the hardest thing. And I know from having more women in my group that when that hits them, it hits them. You know, you could be in the supermarket, you could be at work and, and people don't know what to say to you. You know, that the big thing is just, if you see somebody who's lost someone, just say, how are you doing? It's more right. important that you say something. And then you, if you ignore them, that makes it worse, but don't say anything. Just ask them how they're doing. You know, is there anything I can get for you? Is there anything I can do for you? That sort of thing. I think that's where People who are on the outside need to understand. Be gentle. None of this, what? He's still going to the cemetery? That's what somebody told me once. Because I go to the cemetery two or three times a week. And, uh, you know, after two or three years, this person couldn't believe I was still going to the cemetery. You know, but that's where I get solace. It's quiet. I walk the cemetery, you know. Um, you know and that's what some people do. Um, they just got to get it. And before we um, end here, Dave, I wanted to ask you um, something I like to ask everybody. So what question did I not ask you that you would have liked me to ask you? I don't know. We covered a wide variety of topics. Um, we, um, I would, I don't want to belabor this. Um, I guess the point that I would try to get across, you know, Tony, you ended something. You just spoke a couple of things that, that, are, that are really huge. And um, one is people who have lost a loved one are bereaved and they are thinking about their loved one. I know I think every day, my son, Chris, and, and I know you do too, Tony, of your son and Matthew and um, ask them, you know, to your point, ask them how they're doing. You know, don't be afraid to ask them about their loved one. The biggest fear is that their loved one will disappear in everybody's mind and they'll no longer exist. And to talk about, to bring them up and to talk about them because they're thinking of them anyways. So don't avoid it. Um, you know, ask them how they're doing, ask them about their loved one. If you have a story to tell about them, that's, um, you know, a good story, then, then share that story with them. They love to talk about their loved ones. Um, they're so afraid that they'll be forgotten. And, that, and that's the biggest thing, you know. It's, um, you know, my, I have a memory chest for my son and I have tons of pictures on it. And inside the chest, I have his football equipment and his baseball glove and all that stuff. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, every night I say goodnight to him. I shut the light off in the living room and I'm always saying goodnight to him. It's the toughest part of my day. Yeah. Six years, you know. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't end. And so, you know, just remember that it, it doesn't end. Um, it does get better. And, you know, you know, others feel free to, to talk, about, you know, to ask them how they're doing, because um, they're thinking about it and they, they'd love to talk about it. Sometimes they'll tell you if they don't want to talk about it, they'll say, no, not today. Yeah, that's that's good. Now, when you end your when we end the meetings, you always um have a little couple of sentences to end the meeting. 
Yeah. And could you repeat, could you recite that for us? Oh, God, caught me off guard here. Um, <laughs> basically, you know, I'd have to look it up. Um, I don't have it memorized, but okay. it's basically just, you know, thank you for joining us. Actually, here it is. So this is the closing statement. Our intention has been to support each other in our grief and to share the lives of those who have died. Our world has been forever changed, but we know that our love lives on. We hope you find the resources and assistance you need as you continue on your journey. Until we meet again, may you carry this experience with you as a reminder that you are not alone. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's really, really good. And I, <clears throat> I think of that the rest of the night after you say that at, at the end of a meeting, you know. Yeah. Um, and then one last thing, the, the sunwillriseagain.org. No, there's no again. The sun will rise. The sunwillrise.org, right? .org. Right. And that's and the other the other there's another uh, website. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this. It's called Sad OD. This is with Franklin. It's uh, support after death from overdose. But S-A-D-O-D um, dot org. And if you go to that website, there's a ton of information on all different grief groups and all different help and different brochures and different uh, whole bunch of different things. So sadod.org is one of the I highly recommend. It's, it's part of the facilitator groups that I'm involved in, so. Okay. Well, I thank you very much, David, for coming on with us tonight. Really appreciate it. And I hope if anybody out there has listened to this session tonight and you have lost a loved one, please come forward and join us. Come to the somewherrise.org and uh, get into a group. And I can assure you, you, um, you will feel better and your new normal will feel a little better. And it, it is definitely something you must consider. And I thank you very much. And this is your Uncle Tony signing off. <laughs>